How you doing, Victory Church? My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you're visiting with us today, as Zenobia and Brian have already said, we'd love to connect with you. You can do that. Again, turn in those cards. Check in on your phone. Because I, I do feel like, you're going to hear me talk about this today, the, the power and the importance of community. And what happens a lot of time is we kind of come to church, experience church on a Sunday morning, and then we walk out not really getting all that we need. And while we understand that all that God is and all that grace is and all that Jesus is, but at the same time, you need community, and you do that by connecting. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. So do that for us this, uh, today. Do us that favor by connecting with us this morning. I do want to say this real quick. Brian mentioned that he didn't hear a lot of the men uh, wooing and clapping for the marriage conference, but I don't know if y'all looked at the poster. There is an intimacy session at this marriage conference, all right? All right. Now, guys, are you interested now? All right. We're going to, uh, I would tell you what it's going to be about, but I understand we might have some teenagers in here and uh, those ears are not ready, but we're going to get real and to the point uh, on that marriage conference. So do, do us a favor, register so that we'll know you're coming. Uh, there's limited seating and we want to make sure to be together. Uh, so many great things happen here, and we always try to take a moment to talk real quick about what your finances are doing, the impact that they're making, because we have so many people that give faithfully every month and every week to not only do what's happening in these four walls, like renovations and ministry, but also what's happening outside. And uh, I talked last week about water filters. We're going to get back to talking about them next week, but I had to take a second and highlight this, because if you were, if you were with us over the Christmas season, uh, we talked about providing Christmas for 40 kids to the Domestic Abuse Center in Murfreesboro, and we were able to partner with the YMCA and do that and provide not only Christmas for 40 kids, but also uh, different, different things that they might need, like a crib. We were able to give gas cards and grocery cards to the parents and so many incredible things. But I was in a board meeting this week with the YMCA, and Hodge, the executive director, shared this picture, and I wanted to share it with you guys. Uh, this is a letter from one of the kids that received Christmas, and watch what this says. It says, Dear Miss Sherry, because she's the lady that runs the Domestic Abuse Center, you are the best um, person. Thank you. <laughs> you think it's hard reading here? Imagine reading it at this direction. Uh, you are the best person ever. Thank you for everything you did. Um, no, it's my, y'all read it. What does it say? It's my true, Merry, it's my Merry Christmas, all right? Um, there, there was another story of one of the kids that they said as soon as he opened his presents, he immediately started cutting a cartwheel. Isn't that awesome? So come on, can we give God praise for a second? And, and, and here you say, well, why are, we, why are we praising God? Well, we're praising God for a couple reasons. Number one, because he's, he's created this church that has a heart for community and that gathers to be able to do that. He's linked us in the relationship with the YMCA. And then he, here's a good reason. Those of you that gave, he gave you the ability to work and earn the money that you could turn around and use to be able to impact other people's lives. And so I want to say thank you to every person who not only gives or gave specifically towards that, but to every person that gives to victory. Because I love that at the beginning of the year, I was talking to Hodge Thursday, and I said, are we doing 80 this year? Is that the plan? We did 20, 40, are we doing 80 this year? Because every year, because of the faithfulness of this church, we start committing to impact long before it's even needed. I've got exciting things happening next month. We're going to talk about some literacy focus happening in uh, March. We're going to talk about, and it's just going to be some really cool things, but we're able to do it because you faithfully give. And so I want to say thank you. And as Darla said in the video, if you're in this place and you say, man, I want to start giving, I want to start tithing, now's the day to start so that we can continue to make impact. Amen? Amen. One last announcement before we get into the word. 
I said this last week, I want to keep saying it. This is a great season for you to be encouraging people to come with you to church. If you look around, you see the room is packed. We already know that we're getting ready and getting in motion to move into two services for what God's going to do this year. We think God's going to really explode it. I've been telling our team, you ready? Y'all going to freak out a little bit, but I'm going to say it. I've been saying, I think by Easter, we could be running two services regular, and then we could have three services on Easter. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'll, I'll get the roller pin out in a second if y'all don't. Y'all got to be way more happy about people finding Jesus in this community. Know what I mean? All right. I'll try this again next. Do me a favor. When y'all leave today, go home, get in your car, discuss with your spouse and your family how you should react when I say that. Next Sunday, I'm going to say the same thing again as if I didn't say it this Sunday, and y'all going to react differently, right? All right, we'll see. I'm testing y'all. Mom, don't let me forget that. All right, Nehemiah chapter 3. If you got your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 3 in the Old Testament. We've been in a series called Rebuilding, and we've been talking about how this year the word for us as a church is rebuilding, but not rebuilding back to what it was, but rebuilding to better than it was and what God always intended it to be. And so the parallel is in the book of Nehemiah. It's a man named Nehemiah. God puts on his heart to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he sets out to do so. In the first week, we talked about how before we rebuild anything in our lives, we need to have a right perspective of God. We need to understand the grace of God and the mercy and the love of God, and that we can be both happy and holy and start rebuilding these areas of our life. Last week, I hope you were here, we talked about healthy boundaries and how it's important to, in a culture that is removing boundaries, it's important for us to actually set some up. And it was really cool because I would talk to people throughout the week and, and hear about different boundaries they were working on with their family or with their spouse. And so it's exciting to see you guys putting these sermons into motion. Um, and I think, I think this week is really going to be kind of the, the triangle to being able to rebuild something, being a right relationship with God, being biblical boundaries, and then what we're going to talk about here at point three. So turn to Nehemiah chapter three. Now, as you're there, I'm going to prep you for something, whether it's on your phone, or you're going to read with me on the screen. Two things are going to happen when I read this. Number one, I'm going to butcher so many biblical names. Um, I was doing my mic test. and It was the first time I had read this out loud on a microphone. And I thought, Ooh, I hope people don't leave the church because of this, because it's going to get ugly. Uh, second, if you're pregnant or looking to be pregnant and you are currently searching for baby names, I'm about to give you 30 of them, all right? So be ready. Uh, if, if in 10 years our church isn't filled with these kinds of people's names, I'm going to be disappointed in you. Here we go. All right, chapter 3, verse 1. Right off the bat, uh, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work, and they rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it, and they set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakar, son of the Emery, built next to them. These all sound like Disney villain names, but stay with me. Um, the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hazaniah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. We've learned that as I read this, I start to get an accent, so bear with me. Um, next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel made repairs, and next to him, Zadok, son of, we're going to say banana because it's just fun, uh, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tikiah, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to work under the supervisor. Some of y'all are already lost. You're already checking Facebook. Come back for a second. Come back for a second. 
the, the Jeshana gate was repaired by Joada, son of Pasaya, and Mashalam, son of Basadiah. Um, you know, there's, there's no Antonios, no, no Billies, no, no Aprils. They, they laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by the men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Mayath um, of Gibeon, and Jadon of Maranoth, places under the authority, don't judge me, of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uzael, we're almost done. Uzael, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Let's put our hands together for the word of God. Now take that word out into your life and apply it and let God move. Amen. Have a great week. If you've, if you've ever read through the Bible chronologically, in other words, what that means, if you've ever just read it like chapter by chapter and, and not kind of jumped back and forth in different things, you've stumbled upon a chapter before or a section of chapters before that looked like this, that might have been a genealogy, and it was just a whole bunch of names, you know, uh, in the Gospels, there's a gene- genealogy of Christ, and if you're not careful, you start reading that so-and-so is the son of so-and-so, and the son of so-and-so, and the son of so-and-so. And it's really hard for us to put any real value to that. And and I'll be honest with you, a lot of times it really is just information. Um, There are always things that if we pick it apart, we'll start to see God's grace and mercy in it. But a lot of times, and I do this all the time, so don't feel guilty for it. I'll just kind of skip past that chapter and get on to reading. And I was tempted to skip this chapter today because there's some really cool stuff in Nehemiah 4 that I'm going to bring out next Sunday in our birthday weekend. Y'all excited for our birthday weekend next Sunday? Come on. We're going to have uh, sweets and treats, and so that's another great Sunday for you to invite friends, and, and let's blow this roof off this place next Sunday. But uh, I really wanted to skip to Nehemiah 4, but I just felt something clearly, the Holy Spirit saying, no, you, need to, you really need to read Nehemiah 3 again, because there's a reason for it to be in the scriptures. And so I went back and I read it again, and went back to praying, going, I don't really know, and I went back and read it again, and it took me a couple of days, and all of a sudden it just clicked to me, and God said, it is in Nehemiah on purpose. And the reason it is in there is this. It's a list of all of the people that helped Nehemiah build the wall. So here's Nehemiah set out to build the wall emotionally. God's put it on his heart. And this is a list of all of the people that God sent him to be able to be his hands and feet, to be able to help him build the wall. And so here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I've titled this message, Team Building. Team Building. Uh, A couple Christmases ago, my kids got the the virtual reality thing, the Oculus. Have y'all seen this? Has anybody played this? It's pretty awesome. You, you put the virtual goggles on and you got the little handles and you're playing it. We started off with some Beat Saber, right? Just kind of getting used to different things. But, but then my, my kids got this game where it was all these different like tasks you do. And one of them was fishing. And so we put this mask on and we got the handles. And, and it's literally like you, as it turns on, you're in this like swampy area. And so I sat down on the couch and started fishing. And I'm not normally good at fishing, but on this app or this uh, uh, virtual reality game, I was. 
And so I'm looking around, you know, and it's like trees, and you can kind of hear birds, and you see butterflies, and I'm casting out my line, and all of a sudden, I'm getting really peaceful. You know what I mean? I'm like, this is pretty awesome. I'm kind of on vacation here. And then all of a sudden, I caught a fish, and so I, I, I reeled it in, and it pulled it up, and it was this big old bass, and it was like 25 points. And I was like, this is awesome. I'm a fisherman. And so I kept on doing it, and like 30, 45 minutes go by, and I'm like relaxed. And I've caught all this fish, and I'm like this great fisherman. And then all of a sudden, the, the whole concept died. It needed to be charged, so it died, and I took it off. And guess what I didn't have? Fish. Right? And y'all are like, what's the point of this story? We're living in a culture right now where we are almost tricked in this virtual reality world that we have all of these friends. But the moment online is off, we look around and realize what we don't have is friends, right? We're more connected than we've ever been, and yet at the same time, the most unconnected we've ever been. There's no way for us to actually function alone and yet be fully alive, okay? Listen to me. There's no way for you to be able to function alone and be fully alive. Tell me, am I right? Every great moment I've ever had in my life was less about what we did and more about who I was doing it with, right? Like you have the right people, work can be fun. You have the right people, renovations can be fun. If you have the right people, uh, what, what, what did they put you in school, ISS? In school suspension can be fun. Can I get an amen? I had a blast getting in trouble. One time Brian and I skipped school together. This is a true story. Don't judge us. And we, we got suspended for it. And we both, all my students, listen, don't follow my way. Follow my words, okay? Hallelujah. Um, we went to go pick up our suspensions. And on the day we skipped school, we had bought matching outfits from Old Navy. And so when we walked in to pick up our suspensions, we had matching outfits on. You know what I mean? Because you could even get in trouble and have fun if you do it with the right people. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, that's not biblical at all. We're off to a bad start. Here's what I'm trying to say. To, to function in healthy ways, we, we have to be fully connected and fully loved. To be fully connected and loved, we have to be fully known. To be fully known, we have to realize that we need each other. Many studies have been done that says that the average American just wants to be two things, needed and known. And when you have the right community in your life, you find out that you are both needed and known. Think about this. Jesus had 42 months to achieve his purpose. He started ministry at the age of 30. He would be crucified at about 33 and a half. So it's about 42 months that this man had to build a ministry, disciple people, and send world changers out to flip the world upside down. He had 42 months. And yet he still found time to value relationship and connection with other people. He had 42 months, but how many times do we see him hanging out at a meal, right? We see him at weddings. I was thinking about this. I know it might not be biblical, but he was at a lot of sleepovers, right? I mean, like he was. He was falling asleep with his friends. That's, that's biblical, a sleepover, okay? He was at a lot of sleepovers, and he's got 42 months. Let me get a little bit more specific. The night before he's going to be crucified right? He literally is going to be dead, and he knows it. He's going to be crucified. The next day, he has what we call the last meal. He has a dinner with all of his friends, 
If I knew that I was going to be crucified the next day, I would be in the fetal position in a corner somewhere praying, and Jesus is at the Mexican restaurant ordering extra chips. It's different, right? He's all about community. Beyond that, after the last meal, he takes three of his friends with him to go pray, and he actually says this in Scripture. He says, my heart is overcome with sorrow, and will you just come with me and be with me? This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, saying, I need community, modeling for you and I the importance of community. And yet, in our culture today, we're actually be being pulled away from interaction with other people, resulting in the average American being the loneliest person in the world. I was reading a lot of books on this concept, and it talks about how different studies have proven that the world, that the average American has never felt so lonely than they are today. They've actually labeled it now, it's called Facebook depression, is what they're calling it. And this idea that we're more connected than ever, but we've never been more lonely. Because we are creatures created for community, but we're in a culture that's trending towards individualism. God wired you to be with people. He literally created you and designed you. Have you ever noticed that some of your happiest is when you're outside with other people? Because those are two things that God created us for, to be out in his creation and to be with his creation. We were created for this, and yet we are literally living in a culture that is moving with every year closer and closer and closer to isolation and individualism. And we wonder why we're miserable and why we're lonely. And the concept is because everything the culture can do is trying to push us to a place where we are, do not have friendship, community, and real people to do life with. So when it comes to this triangle that I think we need when we're going to start rebuilding areas in our life, rebuilding our marriage, rebuilding our finances, rebuilding our family, rebuilding our faith, rebuilding the, the purpose and the dream God put on our heart, we have to have a right relationship or a right perspective of God. We have to have biblical boundaries, and we have to have a good community. If we have those three things, I think then we can actually move forward in rebuilding certain areas in our life. And so here's what I want to do. I want to start by giving you a thought. Actually, it's not even a thought. It's a statement, and I think you'll understand it and agree with it, and it's what moves us forward. You ready? Here we go. Here's what it is. Life is too much to do alone. Life, what you're currently living, is way too much. It's too stressful. It's too much work. It's too unpredictable. There's too many needs for you and I to do it alone. Let's go all the way back to creation, Genesis chapter 2. God is making everything in Genesis 1, right? He's made the, the sun and the stars and the moons and the land and the ocean and all these things. And then he gets to man and he creates man and he steps back and looks at man and goes, my creation is good. I've created him. He's good. But then he immediately notices something and it's that he's alone. And God goes on to say, it is not good for man to be alone. Go to that next part of that verse. Looks like it says in, right at the bottom. It is not good for man to be alone. So God is looking at man going, my creation is good. But then he notices immediately that his creation without community is bad. And so he goes on to make another person, Eve, a woman, and then creates community. Here's what's crazy about that. You ready? Watch this. That means that the first problem 
to ever be mentioned in the Bible is not sin, it's isolation. Think about that. Everybody knows that the opposite or, the, or you know, anything that goes against God or the worst thing, it, it's sin. So we would assume that the very first problem in the Bible must be sin when Adam and Eve ate of the apple. Surely the first problem. No, there was a problem before Eve was created. And that problem is isolation. God called isolation not good before sin ever came into the picture. So you and I have to take it seriously. The enemy hates us having relationships, and he's been trying to stop it from the beginning of time. Social distancing started a long time before 2020. I've read books that talked about how it began all the way back when we started building roads and highways because we went from having to fellowship with our neighbors and ask people for eggs and all that. You know, you get shot over an egg nowadays, you know what I mean? But you had to ask people for eggs. You couldn't just jump on the road and drive to the gas station. But then roads came up and highways came up and people could travel and do things. They talk about skip forward ahead in the season where we started having fences being built and garages being attached and front porches got smaller and back porches got bigger and people went from hanging on their front porch where they'd wave at their neighbor to being in their backyard surrounded by a fence where nobody could see them. Then you skip ahead a few generations, and now we're in the online banking and the online grocery shopping and all of these things. People don't grocery shop anymore. If you watch some of those old shows and movies, the grocery store was like the hangout. Like you saw people at the grocery store, hey, Margaret, you know what I mean? Hey, Meshibbeth, or whatever kind of biblical names we're working with. But we're not even in the grocery store anymore. We put the order online. We pull up. They put it, they put it in our trunk like we're some kind of, thank you, servant. You know what I mean? And then we take our chariot and go home. Like, you know, I don't want to talk to you. You're my grocery handler. And then now as culture continues to move forward, watch this. Now majority of people are working from home. And while there's a lot of good in that, we can be home with our kids. It helps on having brick and mortar buildings and different things. I understand it. Here's the problem. It's isolating us. And so we're getting so comfortable being in our home by ourselves that when the idea comes to get out and be around people, we're like, do I really need to put pants on? <laughs> Sounds overrated. <laughs> With online and all this, here, here was the thought I had. Watch this. We've become accessible to everyone, but available for no one. Yeah. We're accessible to everyone. Any person can all of a sudden message you right now. I had somebody message me on Facebook that I haven't talked to in years, and they were asking me for money, and I couldn't, I was out of town on a vacation, I couldn't respond, and they immediately responded back a couple days later, and they were like, oh, I see you call yourself a Christian, you're not even giving me money, I thought we were friends, like, I haven't talked to you in seven years, and we're friends, what do you, what do you, anybody can reach out to you, anybody can make, a, a, anybody can have access to you, you're accessible to everyone. Most of us have over a thousand people on Facebook, and you only know six of them. But the other, I can't even do the math, the other 994 of them are accessible to you. But when it comes to being available, when it comes to being available for someone or someone being available for, to us, it, it's less likely. I'm thankful for Nehemiah chapter 3. I'm thankful that Nehemiah didn't turn down all of his friends when they tried to help him build the wall. Because I tried to picture this moment where, like, his friends show up and they got tool belts and they got their kids 
and their family, and they're like, show me which part of the wall to build. And I imagine Nehemiah looking going, it's, thank you, but I got it. Thank you, but no thank you. Hey, man, do you need help? No, I'm good. Right? How many times do we say that? And, and then they walk away, and Nehemiah starts building the wall by himself, and then he realizes what a big job it is. Then he starts cussing them out. You know what I'm talking about? Mad at them. Well, how come they didn't help me? Right? They tried to help you, but you turned them away. How many? Look, y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. But you know there's been moments where somebody asked you if you needed help. You told them no. And then later on, you cussed them out for not helping you. Right? Because we get all excited about something. I can do it. I can do it. We've like created this spirit of me. We just think we can do it. I don't need anybody's help. I can, I'm going into one of my characters now. It's something about 2023. <laughs> I can do it on my own. And then we're mad because we realize just how hard the task was. Everybody in here has tried to put a piece of furniture together by yourself. <laughs> it's terrible, right? But let your spouse say, honey, you need any help? No, I got it. I have gone in the different direction biblically. I just let Darla put it together. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She likes it, okay? Chill out. <laughs> but I'm, I'm so thankful that, like, Nehemiah does it and that we get chapter 3 to show us. Because if we're not careful, we read 1, we read 2, we'll read 4, and we go, wow, Nehemiah is a special man. Wow, Nehemiah was called by God. Wow, Nehemiah built that. Because if you're not careful, you'll think Nehemiah built that whole wall by himself? And if we skip chapter 3, that's what we'll believe. But when we read chapter 3, we go, my goodness, I can't even pronounce all of the names of the people who helped him. And you notice that other people handled different areas. This person was, handled that gate, and this family handled that, and they did this, and they did that. And all together, once it was said and done, they built a great wall. What if? Crazy thought. What if this was God's design all along? What if God created us for community because he knew that it would take a village of people for us to be able to accomplish all that God has called us to accomplish? Remember that phrase, it takes a village? Remember when you were a kid and your neighbor beat you and the next door neighbor beat you and the person that lived on the other side of the neighborhood got to beat you? All before your mom came home and beat you, right? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, that sounds like abuse. It was. <laughs> but it was normal. It was just, it's just how it worked. They got you at school. <laughs> school bus person got you. I mean, it's just crazy. It, they, you know, it takes a village. But at some point, we got away from that idea. We understood it to raise our kids, but we forgot that it takes a village to do life. To do life. And I think God created us for community because he knew that the calling he put on your life, the expectations he has for your marriage, the dreams he has for you and your kids, all of these things that he's called you to do, you cannot accomplish alone. So he wired you for community so something would go off and start to buzz when you didn't have it. Something would alert and say, hey, something's not right. There's just too much for you to do. This, can, let me just walk through a little bit of what we're doing on a weekly basis. Right off the bat, we're all trying to figure out how to live for God. We're all trying to grow in our relationship with Jesus and read the word and pray through life. We're all trying to handle our careers, figure out if we're going to stay 
here or climb the ladder or go on somewhere else or applying for jobs or wondering if we're ever going to hear back for an application. We're all trying to budget our finances. Some of us are trying to raise kids. Some of us are trying to have kids. Some of us are in the middle of having kids. Some of us have babies and teenagers and toddlers. And here's what I learned about my friends, that we all have problems, but it's different problems. I have problems with my age. My friends have problems with older age with kids with babies who aren't sleeping. It's just all this constant thing. We're all trying to raise kids. We're all trying to have a healthy marriage. We're all trying to process grief. We're all trying to figure out uh, uh, things that go outside of our expectation. This is a lot for us to do alone. And don't pretend like you don't have a lot going on. Life is crazy. And it's hard enough with a good community. It's impossible alone. You see, I think the enemy's goal for isolation is to make you and I believe that nobody else is going through our specific struggle. That's where I think he starts. If he can make you believe that what you're going through is not what everybody else is going through, or better yet, that they are handling it well and succeeding, but you're the only one that's failing at it, then over time what you do is you'll isolate yourself because you start to feel shame of the fact that you're not performing up to perfection. And you assume because everybody sitting by you looks happy. But their, kid, their kids never scream, right? Their kids never talk back to them. I was talking to a friend of mine who was, who was talking about the difficulty with their kids. And I said, well, here's the deal. I got yelled at by a 13-year-old the other night. I'm 38 years old. I shouldn't be yelled at by a 13-year-old. You know what I mean? Like, like we just assume that everybody's life is going fine. And so it's real easy to isolate ourselves because watch this. If I'm not a great parent, then all of you people who are great parents don't want to be friends with me. If my marriage isn't excellent, then all you people who are acing marriage don't want to be friends with me. So I thought I would do a little experiment. And if you're honest, you'll participate. If you're not, your chair will implode. <laughs> We've already got devices set up under his ready. Brian's got the trigger. How many of you in this room right now who are in relationships do not feel like you've mastered your relationship? Raise your hand. Real quick, look around. Raise your hand high. Look around, look around, look around. All right, put your hands down. How many of you in here who have kids do not feel like you know how to parent your kids. <laughs> really, look around, look around, look around. Can I, I'll raise two hands if it's okay with you. All right, put your hands up. How many of you in here have not aced the concept of being able to budget your finances in a way that you can pay your bills and do all that you want to do with your finances? Raise your hand, put them high in the air. Look around, look around, look around. Real quick, real quick. How many of you in here Try to read your Bible, and you try to pray, but you don't do it as well as you want to do it. Raise your hand in here. Okay, all right. Look around, look around, look around. All right, one last one. You ready? How many in here know that God is full of grace, but you have a hard time getting past your mistakes and failures? Raise your hand. Look around. All right, put them down. First of all, thank you for participating. Everybody whose hand didn't go up, you're a liar. <laughs> or you're great at life and you should be doing this. But, but here's my real point. Do you see how many of us are struggling with the same things? 
But yet, what's the enemy taught you? That nobody in here is facing what you're facing. And yet, I don't know if you looked around, but it was almost 100% participation. Because all of these things I named, and I could keep on going, are things that we need both God and other people to help us succeed at. And so the devil's learned this process. If I can get you to feel shame for what you're not great at, you will isolate yourself away from people who are looking, who are in your same season as you are and looking for help in the process. You will isolate yourself from them and then y'all will continue to operate alone and be mad because you can't succeed at things. Oh, I'm too busy. Right? Isn't that what we're told? How many of us are great at saying yes to something and then by the time it comes around, we back out and say no? Because we've been trained to isolate. We've been trained to push ourselves away from relationship and community. And the whole time we're struggling with our kids and we're struggling in our marriage and we're struggling with our finances and we're struggling to understand scripture. And all we have to do is look to a brother or sister and go, I don't know. And they can go, I don't know either. And we go, then let's not know together. <laughs> right? Let's talk through it. Let's just walk through it together for a second. Please understand that my goal today is not to make you feel guilty for neglecting community, nor is it to add something else to your unmanageable, overbooked schedule. My goal is this, for you to understand the importance of community and then for you to realize that at this church, there are resources and opportunities for you to be able to find that community and feel like you belong. I'm going to give you a couple examples. Right off the bat is a Sunday morning gathering like today. I want to say thank you to you because I can tell a lot of you have made it a point in 23 to get back in church. And that, that blesses my heart. A lot of reasons. Obviously, I love seeing your face, but I think it has way more to do with your, your uh, quality of life. But this is a great opportunity for you to meet people and to, and to hang out with people and to have conversations in the lobby and be able to connect. And you, you know, there's people that have kids like you have kids or, or they're, they're engaged like you're engaged. Or they're pregnant like you're pregnant and they're able to talk through life. So right off the bat, the Sunday morning experience is a great opportunity for it. But guess what? You got to engage. You got to engage. You never have community coming in, getting up and walking out. Like their community is your opportunity to engage. So it starts here. But watch this. It doesn't end here. Then you have the growth track concept that Brian was talking about where you get on a dream team and you get in the database and there's two things that happen every week in people that are in our database and on our dream team that you might not even know about that I think are so valuable. Number one is something we call Victory Cares. Zenobia, who was over here, up here with Brian, she oversees Victory Cares and it's the concept to be able to step in when you might have a baby or you might have a death in the family or somebody's sick and the church does its best through the community to step in and provide food and different things you might need. But guess what? If we don't have contact information on you, we don't know how to contact you, right? Here's the other thing that we do that I think is so cool that you probably don't even know. It's called the Victory Closet. This is so gangster. Watch this, all right? It's like straight up, it's biblical. So on, on Victory uh, uh, Closet, there's like a Discord for it, and people will post things that they don't want anymore and go, does anybody want this? And so it might be a bicycle or a dresser or a Minnesota Vikings cup or whatever the situation is. I don't know who would want that, but it's, I'm kidding. Sorry, Daniel. I love you. Um, keep coming to church, man. I love you. Um, but, but then, you know, so people get to go, I want it, I want that, can I have that? And they put it in our kitchen area, and people pick it up on Sunday. Isn't that awesome? You're out at Walmart looking to buy something. You got somebody in the church trying to give it away. This is Acts biblical. 
you look in the Acts, it says everybody made sure nobody was in need. Everybody in here has got something that somebody else needs. And when we really connect, we're able to find out that what if, what if, what if God's already provided it for you? You're in here, you're like, man, we're broke. And our washing machine broke. And we don't, we don't know how we're going to pay for another one. Meanwhile, we got somebody in the church trying to give away a washer. It happens all the time. I literally watched a family give their washer and dryer to another family a couple of months ago simply because they were able to say, hey, we need one. It's community. We're missing out. It's free community, and we're missing out on it because the devil's taught us that we need isolation. It goes deeper than that. In a couple weeks, we'll start signing up for small groups. I think there's already six or seven or eight small groups that are ready to launch all throughout from here, all the way to Murfreesboro, Nashville, Smyrna, uh, Laverne, all these different areas of groups for you to be able to connect with. People that are married, women's groups, men's groups, couple groups, all these different things. Beyond that, there's one-on-one discipleship that we're launching this year where you can literally have somebody sit down with you one-on-one and disciple and walk through the Bible. Like these are all, up. and I'm, again, I'm not saying this, oh, I kind of am saying this as a promo for the church. I mean, I guess that's the point. But at the same time, I want you to recognize that it's available to you. You know what I mean? Because it's real easy to walk out and go, I just don't feel connected. It's like, well, of course you don't. Because there isn't the opportunity yet for you to be connected. One of God's designs for our health and for our protection is centered around relationships with people who love us unconditionally and point us toward truth. That's important. You also need people in your life that are going to be able to tell you the truth. Let me say it like this, y'all. God never meant for us to cry alone. God never meant for us to hurt alone. God never meant for us to be in need alone. Watch this. I love this. The original purpose for the church was that we would heal together, that we would grieve together, that we would be confused together, that we'd be scared together, and that we'd be empowered together. You say, wait a minute. This is a church. We can't be scared. You fear nothing but the Lord. I mean, okay, let's be real for a second. I get scared. I had to yell at Darla last night because she left the garage open again. I was scared, y'all. It's real in these streets. We get scared. Let's be scared together. Let's be, you know, here's what I've thought about disciples. Jesus is gone, right, down on the cross. They all gather in a room, and they're all scared and confused, but they're together. Can we be it together? Man, I don't know what this scripture means. I don't know either. Let's, let's think about it together. Let's do it together. I don't know if Patrick Mahomes with a hurt ankle can get Kansas City to the Super Bowl. Let's be worried together. You know what I mean, church? I need y'all's prayers quickly. As I was preparing this, I was thinking about the time that Veda, our oldest, got attacked by a Rottweiler one Sunday. We were out at lunch with some friends from the church, and Darla, she, Veda was away with some friends, and Casey Ray was with some friends, and we got a phone call, and Darla stood up. And every time, you know, there's a serious phone call, I'll wait for that moment to see if it's a problem or if it's something else, and then I can kind of go back, and I'm watching, and Darla's face is never changing, and she's starting to get hurry in her voice, and I'm like, this is not good. And she gets off the phone, and she says, Veda was just attacked by a Rottweiler, or I think it was a Rottweiler, yeah. And I'm like, what do we do? We hadn't got our food yet. She said, you know, my friends who were there with us, they said, just, you, Darla, you go. We'll take Troy. We'll wait till the food gets here. We end up getting to the hospital, and those friends that were with us at lunch stayed with us the entire day that we were at the hospital. We had two other friends come and bring roses for Veda. 
one of our friends was a nurse. She came in, she wasn't on uh, call that day, but she came and stayed and worked and was in the room with Veda while she was getting her stitches and all that. Later on that evening, while Veda's in the bed, we had friends coming by and dropping off ice cream and dessert and stuff for Veda. It's mind-blowing for me. And it wasn't even me. It wasn't me, and it wasn't Darla. It was our child. And through probably what, you know, potentially, I mean, not that y'all care necessarily about all this, but, I mean, she was inches away from potentially dying from this, from this attack. So it was a huge moment for us. And we were surrounded by community that was there for us in that moment. I just think it's important. Important enough that I would take this entire message to tell you that you need community. And that Nehemiah chapter 3 was left in the Bible for a reason. And that it could have just said a bunch of people came and helped Nehemiah build the wall and we could have moved on because none of us care about those names. But to Nehemiah, they were everything. Nehemiah would not struggle pronouncing those names because of what they helped him do. And there's people in your life that you'll never struggle pronouncing their name because of what they meant to you in your life. And so my prayer for us today is simply this. Let's start rebuilding together. Let's, let's, let's be rebuilding together. Now, I understand that you got close friends and you know, you got friends that are, that are go to different churches and you got friends that are unsaved. And, and that's great. Like some of y'all got best friends and I'm not telling you to get new friends. Not what I'm telling you. But there's a difference in some of your close friends and a church family. There's a difference. I understand that you may never find your best friend in this room, but this is your church family. So it's important. I won't go back through Nehemiah 3 because I don't want to embarrass myself again. But, but as it's on the screen, you can just see where everybody has a different responsibility. This person did the sheep gate. This person, the adjoining section. The fish gate was rebuilt. The Jahasana gate. One of the goldsmiths repaired the next section. The perfume makers made repairs next to that. I just love that it's taking each person and assigning them to a responsibility. This person was this. This person was this. This person was this. I want to give you real quick four reasons why you need community in your life. Number one is this. We need people who are going to encourage us. It's just true. I don't know if you know this, but every person in this room, every person in this room, every age, every color, every single person, every married person, every person in this room is going to be facing a moment at some point that they should not face it alone. You are either coming out of a disaster in the middle of one, or don't worry, there's one down the road. I don't tell that to scare you. I tell you it because it's life. But we're all going to face moments. People are going to die in our life. Things are going to go not the way we expected them to go. There's going to be moments of straight disappointment and pain caused by man and woman because the Bible says that they would. There's going to be moments where we shouldn't be alone. You need people that can encourage you. Sometimes it's just a text. Sometimes it's just a simple goofy gif or meme to just make you smile for a second. Sometimes this is one of the best moments I had with friends in my life. Sometimes it's somebody looking at you and saying this, that season will pass too. I'll never forget sitting there with Brian and Erica one day and my kids were a little bit younger and, and, and just acting a complete fool. And Brian just leaned over to me and he said, hey man, I, didn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't asking him for comfort. I wasn't even looking at him because I was trying to debate which way I wanted to kill my kid. You know, did I want it to be public or private or do I want to go to jail or not want to go to jail? 
And he leans over to me and he goes, hey, man, don't worry. This season's going to pass. I just remember, I, I like, oh, my God. I just, oh. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that, that's what I'm talking about. Someone that just to encourage you. To encourage. Well, Brother Troy, I just encouraged myself in the Lord. Stop it. It's the dumbest thing I've ever. I get it. I mean, yes. Let me, let me rewind for a second. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Do it. But can I show you what God said in the book of Hebrews? Watch this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together. Watch this. And some are in the, ha- some are in the habit of doing, but what? What? Encouraging one another. That doesn't sound like a God who's saying, hey, just leave encouragement up to me. God's saying, I will encourage you, but I've also put people in your life to encourage you. Embrace them. I've given you fellow moms and fellow dads, fellow students, married couples, single people, people who have had trouble having kids, people who have had kids, pickleball teams. Can I get an amen? I put people in your life to encourage you and to walk with you and to be an example of Christ in your life. That's a gift from God. It's a gift. You need people who can encourage you. Number two, you need people who can protect you. Let's talk about this for a second. You need people who are going to see your blind spots. You know what I mean? You need people who are going to call you out on some stuff. You need people who provide safe places for you to be vulnerable. You need people who aren't going to hear what you say and then go tell everybody what you said. You need people who watch out for your soul. Judah Smith wrote a book called How's Your Soul? And he says this in the book. He says, you've always heard, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. He said, add a little bit to it. Show me your friends and I'll show you the state of your soul. We need people. Philippians chapter 2 says it like this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Watch this. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. I love this. Not look into your own interests, but to the interest of others. My ability to hear what you're going through and not turn around and use it so that I can be the gossip king or the gossip queen is me putting your interest above my interest. Make sense? We need people who are going to partner with us. Listen, we operate best in a tribe. From the beginning of time, man has always been better together as a tribe. We need a social community. But here's the important part. That's linked by a common bond to accomplish something none of us could ever accomplish on our own. Listen, here's a lot of times where the fall off is. Because we go, well, we got a few friends, but we don't feel like we got a purpose, and so it's not really... Yeah, it's all about having a group of people who are about one thing. Whether you want to talk about gangs, or whether you want to talk about cults, or what, you know, football teams, or, or whatever you want to talk about where you see people coming together and it being successful, and you see it being you know, somewhat or something that they rely on, it's because they all have a single purpose. Here's our single purpose. To literally announce and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. 
When we gather here on Sunday morning, it's to be together and to work together so that one person might walk in the door, experience the grace of Jesus, and walk out changed. When we meet together in small groups, it's to glorify the name of Jesus. It's to lift up the name of Jesus. We are a community linked by one purpose. The answer to a me culture is a we purpose. A me culture, we got a we purpose. For all who sin and fallen short of the glory of God, he who loved us gave his son so that everyone who believes in the name of Jesus shall be saved. That's a we purpose, trying to live in a me culture. Is that we got to find people that will pray for us. You need people that will encourage you, people that will protect you, people that will partner with you, and people that will pray for you. This week was, was kind of a hard week for Darla and I. We walked with a couple through what will be probably one of the hardest moments of their life. They lost a child, and it's just, it was a hard, hard thing. It's one of those things that came, you know, kind of unexpectedly, and it came quick, and then, then it lingered. And there was a lot of roller coaster of, oh, this is going to be okay. Oh, it's not. It's going to be okay. It's not. I met them up at the hospital, and I'm sitting in the room with them, and I'm sharing with them everything that I know about God and, and how to view God despite what, whether it ends the way you want it to be or not. It's just it's a tough time. The, the, the lady, she, she said to me, she said, thanks for coming because while you were here, I just kind of had a normal conversation for the first time in a few days. We laughed and joked about Veda yelling at me. <laughs> I was showing her on our Discord all the people on our dream team that were praying, 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 praying. Sending verses. Zenobia took Victory Cares and she set up a meal train for them to be able to bring them food. And then we had a couple people in the church, watch this, that watched her other child for them the entire day into the night to the next day so that they could grieve this situation and not have to be concerned with their other kid. Darla and I were driving home one night and she looked at me and she said, can you imagine having to go through that without a church family? The, the husband called me and he was like, man, we need, we know, we need care for our kid and I'm like I don't I don't you know I'm trying to think about my schedule my wife's schedule and people just start jumping up we'll watch him for this hour we'll they watch they can stay overnight it's amazing it's amazing see some of you are in here and you've been through something and you didn't have anybody and it almost killed you some of you in here and you're going through something right now and you don't feel like you have anybody. Some of you don't know it, but something's coming. And I don't say that to scare you. I say that so that you're ready. That you're ready with the presence of God and you're ready with a biblical community and a church family. That no matter what happens, it doesn't throw you off of your relationship with God. Or it doesn't make you mad at God. But you stand in the goodness of God. You say, wait a minute, the, the goodness of God, what, what do you mean by that? Y'all know my heart is to always preach grace from the stage. 
I've been on a study, and I'm going to bring you through the book of Genesis later on this year, where I'm looking for grace in every book of the Bible. From Genesis 1, we've been in Nehemiah. I'm showing you grace in Nehemiah because people often connect grace to the New Testament, not the Old Testament. So I'm on a mission. Where's the grace of Jesus and everything? Genesis is going to be awesome. Just hang tight until we get there. So I write this whole message, y'all, and I'm wrestling with it. Because I'm like, I feel like I'm pointing focus more on people than I am God. That I'm telling you to get people in your life instead of telling you to get God in your life. And I tell you every Sunday to get God in your life. But I think this is important. I think there's a reason Nehemiah 3 is in the Bible. And so I'm praying about it, and I'm like, God, I feel kind of weird. I don't know if I should just can this sermon and write a different one because I don't ever want people to rely on people, you know, in that, in that way other than you. And I really want to really want to focus our attention on your grace. No lie, for the Spirit of God say to me, who, who did I spend the most time with as Jesus? And I thought instantly, that's John. John the disciple. What did John call himself? The one who Jesus loves? Jesus' greatest relationship was with John. John's name means graced by God. Even, even in the person Jesus picked to be the closest to, he was still showing you the grace of God in relationships. He was showing you that he's built community to show you the grace of God. Because when your community protects you, it's the grace of God. When your community encourages you, it's the grace of God. When your community protects you and partners with you and prays for you, it's the grace of God. When you feel like you're doing terrible as a mom and somebody looks at you and goes, you're doing great, it's the grace of God. When you feel like your marriage is falling apart and somebody looks at you and says, hey, everybody struggles with this, you're going to make it believe it's the grace of God. When you're looking at your finances and somebody says, sit down, let's go through a budget real quick. You can do this. It's the grace of God. It's little, little pockets of grace that God has put all around us in the form of imperfect people. If that's not irony and ironic, I don't know what is. That God would mirror the grace of God through imperfect people to be able to show you the grace of God for your life. but we're too caught up on our imperfections to embrace it. And so here's my challenge for you. Stop running away from relationship. You're not too busy. You have watched plenty of flicks in your underwear. I'm on an underwear kick today, bear with me. You're not too busy. If you are, stop doing some stuff. Take this as a moment and a charge from the Spirit of God. Hey, I need to do something about my life. Do me a favor, stand with me where you at. Prayer team, I want to invite you down real quick. Worship team, I want to invite you up. I'm going to give you a couple little action steps this morning.
Here's my action steps. You can do one of two things this morning. If you're in here and you need prayer right now, man, me and my spouse, me and my kids, or me personally, I don't even want to walk this door because I hear what he's saying and I want that community, but I don't even want to walk out the door. I want it right now. That's what we have down here. Prayer team down here, ready to pray for you right now, right now. If, if you're not that person, if you don't need prayer today, then I'm going to challenge you as you worship, as you walk out today, as you leave, start asking yourself, start asking your family, start asking your spouse, where do we need community? How do we get it? What does it look like for us? How do we get involved in something? How do we connect? Listen to me. Some of us had great community pre-2020, but 2020 messed us up mentally, and we've never quite gotten back. And so because of that social distancing, we're still social distancing. And the Spirit of God is saying, if you're rebuilding things, now's the time to rebuild relationships. Now's the time to get the right people back in your life that encourage you. Because see, here's the interesting thing. People are God's greatest gift and our greatest grief. Right? Some of us don't want to be around people because we've been hurt by people. And the Spirit of God is saying, come on, lean in. Try it again. Try it again. Because the grace of God is found in one of those greatest gifts, which is you and other people. I need to go, but I, I, can't, I can't let this go. Every, every married couple, listen to me. What you're doing is difficult. There are other people in this room that are on that journey too. And if y'all would link together, listen to me. Every mom and dad who's dealing with teenagers and you're trying to figure out where they're getting their belief system and you don't quite know, there's other people in the room with teenagers trying to get together with them. Every young person, every young adult, every single person, every person that's trying to figure out this relationship with God, there's everybody in the rooms trying to get with somebody. I feel like that's all I can do as far as preaching and inspiring you. Now, now I just got to leave it up to both the Holy Spirit and you. So let me pray. And if you would like prayer today, I want to invite you to come down to pray. Other than that, I encourage you to worship for a moment. Lean in a little bit to the Spirit of God talking to you about how to build relationships in your life. Father, I thank you right now for your word. I think it's timely. I think it's real. I think it's like a two-edged sword that pierces soul and heart. And I think that as we're beginning to rebuild areas in our life, there's something that we need so much, and it's community. I, I hear people say all the time, if it wasn't for the community, God's given me community. And I know that we'll have opportunities. But Father, it begins today with a mindset for the person in here who just needs somebody to pray with them. I pray you'd move on their hearts this morning for prayer for the couple that's been looking for community and friendship, I pray they'd have a conversation in the lobby with somebody. Just begin to do what only you can do, just the Spirit of God moving in people's hearts, creating something that's so special. 
mimicking you, Jesus. So, Father, we give you this moment. Do what only you can do. You're the God of miracles. The hardest heart you're softening right now. The person that said, I will never be in relationship again, it's breaking right now. You're the God of miracles. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.